We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 406, and I am very excited to have Kate Barker and Courtney Ferrua on the program today. Kate is a principal at Cherry Park Elementary in Portland, Oregon, and this is her 30th year in education and 17th year as a principal. She works with a very diverse population, which includes over 28 different languages in her community. And Courtney Ferrua serves as the Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment in the McMinnville School District. And prior to working at that district office, she served as the principal at Washer Elementary School for six years. In 2019, Courtney was awarded Oregon Elementary Principal of the Year and recognized as a National Distinguished Principal by NAESP. Um, I'm very excited to have you both here and welcome to the program, Kate and Courtney. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jethro. We're excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And if you are a fan of the podcast. You've heard McMinnville School District before because uh, we've had Amy Fast on the program a couple of times and she's the principal of McMinnville High School. So we know if we're talking to somebody from McMinnville, it's going to be good. 
Um, so excited to, to have that connection here as well. Um, so we're going to be talking about their book that they wrote with Rachel George called Principled, Navigating the Leadership Learning Curve. As I've mentioned in School X and on this podcast numerous times, one of the major challenges with being a principal is that you have so many different stakeholders that you are trying to serve. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So Kate, let's start with you. And one of the things that you have mentioned before is this idea of having high expectations, but also having a fun and vibrant culture. And sometimes we think that if you have high expectations, then everything has to be perfect a certain way. And it's a very cold, structured environment that we're all focused on results. Is that really what it's like, Kate? How do you combine both of those? I think it's an imperative that you marry those two concepts and that we really strongly believe all three of us believe that you can have high expectations and infuse them with that vibrant culture. And so you can set up your systems and your structures for both academics as well as, as culture, and that will infuse that love and joy for learning and also infuse those high expectations. So how do we balance that, Courtney, between having those high expectations and and working hard and doing great things and putting our whole selves out there, but then still have fun at the same time? A lot of times we feel like those are not possible to have together. And you're saying that it's necessary, but how do we make that work? You know, I think it goes back to humans feel good when things are successful, when they feel like they're successful. And that's true for adults. It's true for for children. Working hard towards the goal and and feeling that achievement feels great. We talk a lot about loving kids enough and heart, you know, loving your community so much that you have high expectations for them and you won't allow them to fail. I think it's important that we see our, our mission as future successful humans. So it's not just about that particular grade level or that particular like level of uh, whether it's elementary, middle or high school, we have a loftier goal. It's helping all of the community really actualize what they want to be and who they want to be. It starts by, by meeting kids where they're at. Rachel, Kate and I all work in high poverty districts and schools. It starts with the, the belief and mindset of adults and really opening that up past the, the limitations and, and finding where those obstacles are and finding the way around. Yeah, and that, that idea of valuing and recognizing what people want to become and knowing them well enough to know how to help them get there, I think is a really important piece that that in our standardized approach to education that's so focused on results and test scores and and things that can be measured easily, we forget about that individuality that each person has their own gifts, their own abilities, their own weaknesses to be able to become the kind of person that they want to be. So when you're setting high expectations, how do you balance those expectations with that? Because when we think of high expectations, we think of get good grades or, or achieve well on state test scores and things like that. What does high expectations look like as you define it? And Kate, we'll have you start and then Courtney can go next. So I think that it all starts with that common belief that everyone should be growing. So 
growing uh, as a student, growing as a staff member, growing as the principal, growing as a community. And then it, it, it involves the knowing. So how do you know your students are growing? How do you know your staff is growing? Well, you, you really spend the time getting to know them. So you are looking at data. You are visible in classrooms. You're greeting students at the door. You are instilling strategies within your staff meetings that connect each other uh, so that you know strengths, you know deficits. And then you put together your plan, whether it be academic or social or emotional, to be able to propel people to grow. And I think it's really important that you are taking whomever that person is and you're starting wherever they're coming in and then you are making purposeful plans to grow them and to propel them forward. I would just add to that that I think, you know, in our field, we have this tendency towards like a false dichotomy or a pendulum where we think we have to do it either one way or another way. And, you know, 10 years ago, it was all about student achievement and that was all we did. And now I feel like we are um, making a similar misstep in thinking that it's all SEL and not academics. The truth is kids need both. And, you know, it's it's the only year that a student's going to be in third grade or the only year that a student's going to be in seventh or freshman in high school. Um, we have an obligation to make sure that they have the academic achievement that they need in order to have all of the doors to the future open to them. But we, we can do that with deep love. And so, um, you know, you will hear us talk about standards and common formative assessment and uh, professional um, collaboration so that teachers are looking at data, but it's not looking at data for data alone. It's looking at data because that data represents the faces of the children that we care so deeply about. And, um, you know, some of the things that um, were important to me as I was shifting outcomes at the school that I was working at was reflecting. So we had kids that, you know, on paper, it looked like we were doing all the things and they had, you know, all of these interventions and all of this stuff. But when we really like dug in and did kind of a case study of what that looked like, it was a hot mess. There wasn't a consistency with the focus of our interventions, or they were missing core instruction when they were being pulled out. You know, like those kinds of misalignments can take the best intentions and you start to go sideways with it. It's aligning and knowing your systems and, you know, getting everybody kind of focused in the right direction. Yeah, I, I want to go back to that piece that point you made, Courtney, about the the data, you don't look at data for data's sake, but it's the data that, that represents the faces of the kids we care about. And you're now in a position as the director of curriculum instruction assessment, which is different than being a school principal. And you've got way more kids that you're thinking about now than when you were. How do you keep all those kids in your district as individual kids and not lose that picture of them as individual students when you're dealing with district level initiatives and plans? Yeah, that's a great, great question. The initiatives that happen at the district level are only as solid as they're implemented 
by the buildings. And so we really believe in our on our district in the data team process. So um, providing a structure in the system for teachers to come together and talk about data. It it's important for me to talk about data. It's important for me to look at it, but but I don't know the kids. I'm not with them all day. And so it's important for the teachers to have that structure to be able to, to look at it. And, and we have, um, so some of the things that we've done are create common formative assessments throughout our district. So if I'm a student in sixth grade ELA, I have the same assessment um, and we can look at it across town, you know, at how students are doing. Really focusing on that replication of success. Teaching is one of those kind of funky positions where we hang out a lot with our colleagues, but we never actually see them do the work because we're all doing the work at the same time. And so another thing that I really am passionate about is peer observation. Um, you mentioned Amy Fast before, and Amy and I um, started together as instructional coaches in the district. And it was phenomenal, the the culture that we built with, you know, a, a grant opportunity that we had at the time, but um, getting teachers to see each other practice and learn from one another, like fostering that kind of grassroots movement where your entire structure is a, a learning structure, you know, of just replicating the success of one another. Yeah, I think it'd be beneficial to maybe do another podcast with you, Courtney, about that data team and how to create that and implement it so that we can really make a difference for our kids. And that's something I'd like to do a deep dive in and really like go through the process to to talk about that. So if you're interested, I'd, I'd love to schedule something else with you and, and go through that because I think that would be powerful. Um, I do want to change gears just a little bit because I think one of the things we don't talk about a lot in education, especially publicly, is how difficult this work is as you're dealing with different personalities and different feelings and experiences. And it's just, there can be some really big landmines that you can step on and really destroy a lot of things. I mean, we, we started talking about a fun, vibrant culture with high expectations, and those high expectations lead to stress, burnout, difficult conversations, people losing their tempers and their professionalism at different times. So let's talk a little bit about some of those difficult things that we never talk about in education um, because it's it's really important for us to talk about those because it's not good to be blindsided when you go in. So Kate, let's start with you again and, and talk about how to bring up a challenging situation to someone in a way that you maintain the high expectations but also still keep the relationship because once there's confrontation, that relationship can go out the door. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I'm so glad that you mentioned relationship because we feel like that should be at the heart of everything that we do is do you have a relationship 
with that staff member or the parent or the student to be able to have the really honest, hard conversation. In fact, in Principled, we have a whole chapter on how to have hard conversations. And I think it starts with a relationship, but it also, it's so important for leaders to make sure that there aren't any surprises. So a part of the art of being a leader is is being able to communicate clearly and, and, and often about what are your expectations. And then just like anything, just like with our students, it's important to follow up with those expectations and to reinforce those expectations to appreciate what you expect. And one of the phrases that I that I use is you know, to expect what you um, inspect or insp- excuse me, inspect what you expect. It's back to it's being visible. It is writing a note and leaving it uh, in a mailbox for for a teacher that has done something that is that follows your expectations. It's when someone's not following the expectations, not necessarily immediately assuming that they're doing it with ill intent, but to then ask the questions. Do they understand the expectation? Do they know how? Uh, to implement that expectation and really come from it from a place of learning and coaching and making sure that they have the model that you're constantly modeling in your staff meetings or in your communication, um, in your interactions, and then following up with that appreciation and reinforcement. And, uh, you know, modeling is is another thing that, you know, we... (laughs) I got a little story time here. <laughs> so um, in in one district, it was the expectation that principals go to all the professional development with the teachers, which is good on the part of modeling what people should be doing. But then it was not good in that all of the principal's time, especially during in-service time, was spent in not doing any other work, but attending sessions purely for the sake of modeling. And so it wasn't actually beneficial because we were focused so much on modeling. We weren't focused on doing our own work, which meant that the principals then afterward would, you know, have to stay late at school for hours to be prepared for the next day or whatever else needed to happen, whatever other things the the school district had in mind for us. And modeling was all well and good at first, but then we quickly realized that we were just basically wasting time. We didn't need the instruction on specific teaching strategies like our teachers did because we weren't going to be implementing those and we would still need to coach, but it didn't fall to us to be like in the classroom next to the teacher, making sure that they were doing this right. And that would just become too much micromanaging. Help me uh, understand how to have that balance so that there's there's some modeling, but that there's not so much that we're wasting our time. Where where am I wrong on that, or am I? Well, you know, I think that instructional leadership is really important, and in being able to lead other educators, we need to never lose that part of education ourselves. In our district, we do a lot of in-house professional development where 
we send a crew to become, you know, the the experts in something, and then they come back and and teach it to a, a larger audience. And we've done that with research-based strategies. We've done that with student management and social emotional, and it's been really effective. I think, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy in education is um, that tendency to look for the the new bright thing, um, you know, or the answer to everything is this new something, something. Um, and I think what right now we're, we're so blessed in education to live in a time where we have great data. And, you know, with John Hattie's work and Doug Reeves work, other people who have done this um, deep dive into the research, we know um, best practices. And I think, you know, to, to go deep with a few things, and as a as a building leader, you're going to be aware of what it is, and then the um, the teams that are kind of specializing in those areas go much deeper by focusing on some core initiatives or some core strategies that um, everyone has a common language around. Then it's not like you're changing topics all the time. It becomes these are the pillars that we believe in. And um, every year we're just going to enhance and go deeper with them. Yeah, that's great. And Kate, you were going to say something too. Go ahead. Well, I think it just goes back to strength-based leadership and really capitalizing on the people that are within your realm. And it is, it is, for example, when we were, we're all about data team meetings as well. And we have a, the leaders have a pre-meeting in our school that, that talk about who should say what to whom and really capitalize on somebody maybe have a strength in sharing the data in, in chunks that might make the most sense. Somebody else may be uh, an expert, let's say, in K2 and sharing strategies. And that I think back to your question about, is it worth having the principal come to all the professional learning? I think that sometimes yes, and sometimes no. And that can you can you choose people that are on your team to be the ones that, that share that information and bring it back to the staff? There's a, a story we, we infused lesson study which is a strategy that I found just a huge shift in our community. And it was all about micro planning as a team. And when you do that together, there's one instructor. And because I was just learning it, I said, would you be okay if I would be the instructor and that you can teach me about decomposing numbers? So the team taught me and then I had to implement it. And what it showed was that I was willing to get in the trench with them. They saw me cry. They saw me frustrated. They saw me. So it really brought us closer together. And it gave me an enormous amount of respect for my team and the work that they were doing with our students and how difficult it is to differentiate math and So I think that there is value in learning alongside of your staff, but the most important thing is as the principal or as the curriculum director, you don't always have to be the one leading the professional development, but it is important that you know what your staff is doing so that you can advocate and support. 
Yeah. So two examples on this. One, I was in a district where the the principal attended all the PLC meetings and it felt basically like the principal was there to make sure that the teachers were doing their jobs, which set up an adversarial confrontational relationship from the word go. And in another district, the principal attended all the PLC meetings, but the purpose of the principal being there was to make sure the teachers had adequate resources. So it wasn't so that the principal could say, well, you're not doing it right. Or, and that's not the approach that was taken. It was really to ensure that the, that the people had what they need to do their work. And you talked about this idea of strength-based leadership that in the district I was talking about where we had to go to the professional development, it was basically, we had a complaint seven years ago about the principals not being at the professional development. And so teachers started not going themselves because there was no quote unquote accountability. And all that did was just create this vicious cycle of trying to force people to do the right thing. And that's not at all what we're trying to do. We want to inspire them to do the right thing by having a good, fun, vibrant culture with high expectations and then provide that accountability later when people aren't doing what they should be doing by, as you mentioned, inspecting what you expect. And and when you have that balance set up appropriately, then it empowers people. When you have that set up, set up inappropriately, then it just makes people frustrated and they don't want to do it. <laughs> and so uh, being able to, to navigate that and find the balance, I think, is, is really important. And Um, And I know principal gets into that so that people can use that as a guidepost to help them make those decisions. Um, Anything else you want to add there, Courtney? I think that what you're hitting on, Jethro, is so important. Without a clearly articulated why and a worthy purpose, any um, mandate that's put into place will fall flat. So if uh, data is the mandate Um, Data without a worthy purpose or an articulated why feels like micromanagement, right? But when you are articulating your why, which is so important as a leader, and, you know, Kate, Rachel, and I have talked about having your elevator speech um, that, that explains why you chose this profession and why you feel compelled to, to lead a community is such an important thing because we often um, make the mistake of assuming that people know why we're in this work or, oh, we gave it and, you know, we talked about it in a speech, um, but not everybody was there. And, you know, your community is like a stream. You never step into the same stream twice. So you kind of have to be continually putting your why out there. When I was the principal at Washer, one of the strategies that I used to kind of maintain that focus on um, student learning and and high expectations was every day I'm sending an email about who's absent from the building. And so in addition to doing that task, I would put in kind of my mantra for the work. And then also, um, you know, something about being an instructional um, leader or best practice or something, you know, like a link to a podcast or an article or something that just keeps it front and center. That's, that's what we're doing always. Um, And there's so much noise in the work. And especially now with, you know, the pandemic, we're focusing on measuring the distance between a seat and another seat and how many, you know, layers of masks we have on and all of these things that are really important. Um, but it can take our focus away from the instruction part and from the articulating our, our true purpose for this work. 
Yeah, I that's so valuable. When when you have those things in place, uh, many other things go away. And I love how you, Courtney, you used it as something where every day they would get a refresher on on your mandate for where why you're in education. Um, and I think that that is is truly valuable. If you're not saying it enough that you're getting sick of saying it, then you're certainly not close to saying it enough. And people need to be sick of hearing it from you before they will internalize that as well. And, and that's just, that's so important. It's, it's a little thing, but it's, it's vital for that to continue. In, in closing today, I um, want to remind everybody to get your book, Principled, Navigating the Leadership Learning Curve, and uh, make sure you check that out. And uh, the final question is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? And we'll start with you, Courtney, and then Kate will have the last word. Awesome. So I think that the gift that a principal can give themselves this week is to pause and reflect. Um, I feel like, you know, we've all been on a giant marathon run and you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, You really need to take care of yourself and embody some self-care. Know that you're not alone in this work and there's a network of people here that are willing and excited to support you. I would just echo what Courtney mentioned and just add how can you show that you love your community and loving them with acts of appreciation, loving them to have those high expectations, loving them to support them with their, with their needs. And that could be coaching them on a specific instructional strategy. And it also could be waltzing into their room and saying, it's time to go home do something kind for yourself. It can be loving them to be the biggest cheerleader and the the biggest advocate. And so love can come in many, many different ways. But the most important thing is that our communities do know that we love and care about them. Very good. How do uh, people get in touch with you and learn more from you? Uh, Courtney and then Kate. So I'm on Twitter at Courtney Ferrua, and it's Courtney with a K. And then we also have a website, uh, principal.org, um, that has links to our book study and uh, different resources for our, our work there. You can reach me at Kate underscore S underscore Barker. And we'd love to hear from you because you are not alone in this work. Right, and uh, I will have links to their Twitter handles and their website at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 406. So once again, Courtney and Kate, thank you so much for being here talking about your book, Principled. And I appreciate uh, your time, your expertise, and thank you for sharing that with my audience. Thanks for having us. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. 
and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.